We believe all of that. Especially the part that he's coming back one day. Hallelujah. He's coming back. We believe. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to finish this chapter up today as we continue to talk about the many different things Paul writes to Timothy about church life. And today we're going to focus on faithful spiritual leadership and what that looks like. Let me read this passage to you. 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy, with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the directiveness of it, the the instruction it gives, the specifics of it, because we need to know that. Help us to apply this to our hearts and our lives this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I don't know in in your life if you ever witnessed poor leadership in places, in anything. And you sometimes wondered why they were ever put in charge. Um, If you've been in the military, you asked that question probably several times if you spent any significant time there. But the church needs mature spiritual leaders. According to chapter 3, as we put people in place as elders and deacons, you need those men to be spiritually mature. But we also need everybody to pursue spiritual maturity because you never know where you're leading and you may not even know you are leading in some instances in the church. So Paul is writing to Timothy again. He writes, it's a lot of stuff. He writes to instruct. He writes to encourage. He writes to warn him. He writes to enlighten him. And he writes to push him and you know, kind of nudge him along to be a good pastor. That's the whole point of, of this book that, Tim, that Paul wrote to Timothy. And this letter covers many specific issues, many specific and practical actions a church must handle. And right here in this small set of verses, five verses, Paul hits leadership. How you do this? How do you lead your church? How do you lead anything spiritually? God tells Timothy here how to continue in spiritual faithfulness as he leads the church at Ephesus. And whatever we are leading, we can take away these same lessons. God tells us what faith, mature, faithful spiritual leadership looks like in these verses. Something we can all take to heart and and begin to make sure they're in our lives. So how can any of us be faithful spiritual leaders in our daily life? That's kind of the question I want to answer today. What can we cultivate for better leadership in our own souls? Well, God tells us to train for godliness. He told us that last week's set of verses. Train for godliness, and he tells us now to do it in two aspects of our life. Our heart and how we live publicly. In our souls and publicly. And that's what we're going to talk about. God calls us to train for this. And the first one 
feeds the second one. So first we're going to start with our own soul. Spiritual health in our own soul. And as you can tell, we're going to kind of skip around in the passage because Paul didn't write with this one continuous thought. He wrote all of this stuff as it probably came to him by the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to kind of hop around. Let me read verses 12 and then 14 and 15 again, just so you can see what we're going to be talking about. Paul tells Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Verse 14, don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Age is not always a good indication of maturity. I mean, you know, if you, you've probably met some pretty old, immature people, but it happens. Age is not the best measure of that. And especially spiritually. Even if you've been a Christian for 50 years, your maturity may be not what God is calling us to be. So you're going to see that this morning. Now, Timothy here, who Paul says, don't let anybody, don't let anybody put you down because you're, you're young. He's probably in his upper 30s at this point. He was picked up by Paul 15 years earlier, and he's been training with Paul for about 15 years. So he's probably upper 30s. But in that culture, you were still considered a youngster below 40. And I'm almost 60, and people still consider me a youngster around here. So it's, it's interesting in the perspectives. But, but Paul tells him, don't allow anyone to put him down, to ignore, to disregard his ministry because he, of his age, but to look at his spiritual maturity, to set an example. That's what he says here to help them, him get over that hump of, you're too young to tell me what to do, which I think he was getting some of that. So he says, show the believers in the church what a spiritual leader holds dear to their hearts. And all of these begin in our souls, these traits that he gives us here. So we're going to walk through these. The first one he talks about here is speech, what you say. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Isn't that telling? <laughs> out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth gushes sometimes some very nasty stuff. Jesus said it's important to make sure your heart's right, and that's what he's wanting you to work on. So speech is probably one of the best things we can talk about in terms of working on that. And there's both positive and negative ways to speak to people, okay? The speech of a believer should, should avoid falsehood. You should, should avoid lying. I hope you know that by now. Thou shalt not lie. You should avoid anger. You should avoid bitterness, slander, malice, speaking abusively to people. Christians should be, shouldn't be talking filthy stuff, coarse stuff, being critical all the time, complaining all the time. That's how we should not speak. I'm going to give you the nots first. Here's the do's. Here's what your speech should include. It should include truth. Opposite of lying. It should include the whole truth too, not half-truths, okay? Half-truths is half-lies, okay? So that makes it a lie. Include truth. Include edification and encouragement. Admonition. Tenderness, forgiveness, gratitude, love, hope, and safety. Our speech should include all of those as Christians because of who we are in Christ. We need to speak to others the way we want to be spoken to. Remember the golden rule, right? Do unto others as they've done unto you. No, 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 no. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do unto others what you want them to. Talk to people like you want to be talked to. 
And I can guarantee you, you probably don't want to be yelled at, fussed at, or griped at. Our speech, conduct. He tells Timothy, your conduct. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Most of the time we look at that verse and go, he's talking about money and resources. No, he's talking about whatever we invest our life in. That's where your heart is. And your heart needs to be invested in your conduct. We need to always be considering how we're behaving. And it starts right here. If I've got a tainted heart, if I've got a bad heart, soul, I'm going to behave. I may look like I'm pretty good, but I'm, in, in the end, I'm going to behave differently. Behave like Jesus changed your heart. That's what I tell you. I tell you. Try to be act, acting like Jesus, like he changed you. Not like you did before Christ. You, you need to be working those things out of your life. The old is gone, the new has come. Ain't that the verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 17? Lay aside the old habits, the old actions, and the old sins. And be noticeably different in the way you conduct your life. And that starts in the heart. Otherwise, it's hypocrisy. Otherwise, you're just faking it. And there is no faking it till you make it in Christianity. Number three, he says, love. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Greater love. This love is for anyone, just like Jesus did. I want to read you an excerpt from a, a, a commentary, William Barclay's commentary. I want you to hear what, how he describes it. I, I just couldn't put it any better. He says, first, there was to be love. The Greek word for the greatest of the Christian virtues is largely untranslatable. It, its real meaning is unconquerable benevolence. It's basically not never being discouraged about helping someone and loving someone. If a man has agape, if man has love, no matter what other people do to him or say of him, he will seek nothing but their good. He will never be bitter, never resentful, never vengeful. He will never allow himself to hate. He will never refuse to forgive. Clearly, this is the kind of love which takes all of a man's personality to achieve. Ordinarily, love is something which we cannot help. Love of nearest and dearest relatives and friends is an instinctive thing. Ordinarily, love is a thing of the heart. But clearly, this Christian love is a thing of the will. It is that conquest of self whereby we develop an unconquerable caring for other people. Perfect love casts out all fear. We don't have anything to fear. We can love that freely. We can love that recklessly. You're, you're perfectly loved as a believer in Christ. God perfectly loves you. There's no imperfections in the way he loves you. You are perfectly loved, so you can return that love to anybody and anyone. And I know, what if, what if, what if? But I've been, but I've been. I'm just telling you what Jesus says, love. We'll talk about it more in a minute. The, the fourth thing he says is your faith. Your faith looks to Jesus' words. And Jesus said this in, in Matthew 6, and 34. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He's teaching at the Sermon on the Mount. And in, in the same sermon, chapter 7, verses 7 through 8, he says, ask, and you will receive. You will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For he who seeks, finds. He who knocks, or he who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And he who knocks, the door will be opened. Faith in, in our life means we trust 
those verses. We trust God with everything we have. We don't, we don't worry about what's coming next or what we don't have. We trust God in it. Faith in this life is defined clearly in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It is the evidence of things hoped for and the certainty of things not yet seen. And that's the faith Paul is telling Timothy. Your, your faith needs to well up inside you from your soul. It means a trust in God's provision of salvation as well as our needs. And we fear nothing but God. That's the only person we need to fear. And fear him in reverence. Our faith needs to be that way. And then purity. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity, purity here means chastity. It means being sexually pure. But it also carries a tone of integrity with it and honor. Being honorable the way you, you live your life. Living with a desire to be blameless to the world in thought, in deed. We need to live that way. And so these five attributes or traits, Paul says if Timothy conducts himself like this, he is like 100% the pastor anybody needs. No one should reject him as their pastor because he's, he's, if he's living these out. And then in verse 14, Paul uses some reminders to encourage Timothy. He reminds Timothy of his call. He reminds Timothy of his ordination and of the grace gift that God has given him and encouraging him to pursue these, these qualities and these traits. See, Paul must have met Timothy at some point and saw in Timothy something on the first missionary trip. And then when he came back on the second missionary trip in Acts chapter 16, Paul picked him up, said, I, I want you to come with me. And he got him in there and trained him for 15 years. And the council of elders at Ephesus ordained him as their pastor, as a pastor and, and as their pastor. And these reminders were meant to kind of keep Timothy's focus. And it keeps a leader's focus on leading correctly, leading the right way with the right heart attitude. I know there's a lot of times I go back to why am I doing this and I remember God's call clearly and I go, that's why I'm doing it. Reminders, memories. And then in verse 15, Paul tells him to practice the traits. Practice them. That doesn't mean just one time try them. Practice them. Practice, practice, practice. I mean, NFL started their, their camps this week. I'm like, Wow. Football season's almost here, yay. But I mean, it's like they're, they're going to practice a lot before that first game. It's crazy. We need to practice them. We need to live them. Be committed to the principles, Paul tells Timothy. A leader's progress in maturity and faithfulness, his progress should be evident by these traits. That's kind of what Paul is telling him, Harry. If you're going to live these traits out, that will show people your progress. Paul knows the soul of a faithful spiritual leader will face despair, will face, they'll face fear, isolation, troubles. He knows that the way you have to get, overcome those is to be faithful and spiritually mature. God wants all spiritual leaders to look out for their soul. That's where it starts. That's what's important. God wants all spiritual leaders to look out for their soul because ministry, gospel ministry, originates there. That's where it has to come from. Trust me, the times you try to do this, this ministry in any of your own strength, you're going to get very tired very quick. I have a lot of friends that are going through that right now. Paul faced this fatigue and this tiredness, but in the end, he held on. 2 Timothy 4, 7-8, through 8, 
Paul's writing to Timothy his last letter. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. See, that's the goal. That's the end goal. It's not he who dies with the most toys wins. It's he who dies faithful to the master. That's who wins. Fighting the good fight starts in our hearts. And Paul was faithful to the end because his heart was faithful to the end. He never gave up. You know, our souls are really crucial to how we live our life as a, as a believer. And we have to, to cultivate them, protect them, encourage them, feed them. And when our hearts are bad, our leadership and our behavior will be bad as well. So we need to check our, our heart. A couple of years ago, I got invited to go to the fair to the harness races. Never been to harness races, never been to any horse race, never been to a dog race. Um, never seen anything like it. It was, it was wonderful. But there was a race, and it was an interesting race. I think they go three laps around the track, two laps. So on, two, on the first lap, this, this horse that was kind of in the back, he zoomed to the front. I mean, he was leading it at, back when they crossed the, the start line again. He was in front. But something happened on the next turn, and he started slowing down. And the, the rest of the pa passed him, and they all, and he finished last. And everybody was kind of like, well, that's interesting. So in the cool-down laps, as they go around the track after the race, the horse collapses on the far side of the track. And the driver was okay, but it, it did mess up the, the, the rig pretty good. Turns out his heart gave out, and he died. But no one knew. No one would know. It wasn't like the rider had pushed him too hard, but his heart gave out. And we must ask God to reveal to us how is our heart and be willing to listen to what God's got to say about it because sometimes our hearts are needing a lot of cleaning out. Our hearts are immature and sometimes we're failing at certain points and we may not even realize that. So what is the condition of your heart, your soul? Are you, are you fully pursuing these traits that Paul has listed here? To seek godliness and train for godliness, like he said last week? You know, Paul may be writing to Timothy in this book, but he is, God is talking to us, okay? He's talking to every one of us. No one is exempt in these, no one. We don't need to let others control our behavior. We need to let God control it. And these are the way we do. So speak graciously like one who's been given grace. You know, conduct yourself as one who's been changed from the inside out. Love as you have been loved by Christ. Trust Christ with all of your life, not just the religious parts. Trust him with everything. And live your life with pure motives, okay? Not seeking your own advantage, but the well-being of others. How do you talk to your spouse or your relatives or your children or your coworkers, your relatives? How do you talk to them? Don't need anybody to answer but I bet all of us could do better. I'm sure we could all do better. How do you talk to anyone that can't hear you? Or how do you talk about anyone that can't hear you? What do you say when they're not around? We need to train our hearts to do better than that. How do you act in public? How do you behave out there in, in, the, in the world? Does your behavior change when certain people come around? It's kind of funny. We need to be consistent 
Sometimes when I'm playing golf and I get paired up with some people and they're, they're not happy with the way their golf game is going and they're fly, their cuss words are flying and, you know, somewhere they'll lay, eventually somebody will say, well, what do you do for a living, Bill? I just smile at them. I say, I'm a pastor. Oh, we, sh- we should probably not. I said, listen, you don't have to apologize to me. It's the man upstairs you're talking to and about. That's who, you, that's who you've offended if you've offended anybody. How do you act around certain people? Fix that. Be consistent. How far will your love go? How far will your love go? Do you love enough to tell them the truth? That's what love is grounded on is truth. That's why I told my wife never to ask me how an outfit looks on her. She doesn't want the honest truth. She always looks good, but we got to share the truth. We got to speak the truth. Love has got to be based. John MacArthur said this, there is no real love without real truth. There's no real love without real truth. Unfortunately, we've got a lot of people out there being lied to by the world, by some people pretending to be Christians. It's tragic. Are you fretting over things that are out of your control? Are you, as my grandmother would say, borrowing trouble? You're fretting over something you have no control over. You're just going to have to let it ride. Does your fear wreck your life? Fear God only. Trust God only. Let your faith determine how you're going to react to things. What motivates your actions, your business, your relations? Are you pure in your motives of how you're acting with people? What you're doing Don't be afraid of just the IRS, okay? Be afraid of God. You know, he sees everything. Now, no one of us, none of us have perfect answers to these, okay? None of us are doing it flawlessly, not even this one, okay? None of us are perfect. We are all a work in progress. We are all a work in progress. But that work starts in your heart. And you have to put things in there to cultivate your heart. To make your heart better. God knows we can't be perfect, but he doesn't give you an excuse to get out of it, at least trying. But he does give you grace to keep trying. That's the whole point of grace. Grace is not so you can do whatever you want. Grace is so you can do better. Your heart can be better. Your life can be better. We confess, we repent, and we move on. Hopefully moving away from that particular thing we've been doing wrong and prepare to take on the next thing because there will be a next thing. Living for God faithfully from the heart is where spiritual maturity and spiritually mature leadership starts. Your heart. Paul makes that clear to Timothy here. He wants him to understand you've got to take care of your heart first. But also spiritual health of our hearts is crucial and leads to better health in public. That's point number two this morning. Spiritual health in our life. What your life looks like. Are you spiritually healthy? Let's look at verses 11 through 13 and 16 this time. Let me read those again. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. And in verse 16, pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Wow. So verse 11, Paul starts with this, these, these two imperatives. These are commands, okay? 
command these things and teach these things. He doesn't say you may suggest these things. He says he commands them. And Timothy is to present all the instructions that we've seen in in chapters 1 through 4 to his congregation. Now, the way we interpret this is we need to present everything in Scripture that's commanded of us to our congregations and to those around us. Command means exactly what it says. It's not not some other sugar-coated word. It is command them. Command them to do these things. Tell them to obey God's word. Teach them what that means. Teach them what the word of God means and how to apply it and how to obey it, but command them to obey. A spiritual leader will faithfully call people to obedience. That's what we're here to do. That's my job. It's not a secondary, it's a primary task. The preaching of the word of God, one of the primary functions of the church and of the pastor is to command the congregation to follow God's word. If I do anything else, I'm missing the mark. Now, I don't need to berate you, okay? There's a difference between commanding and exhorting you and berating you. The life of the faithful spiritual leader presses believers and then lets the Holy Spirit work. I'm putting it out there. I'm going to give you the truth because I'm giving it to my own heart and let God's Holy Spirit work in your heart and for you to show you. We're, We're supposed to follow Christ in full allegiance, And this is always done in love, in sincerity, and conviction from the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul knew that some of them would disregard Timothy because of his age. Like I said, he was considered young. But verse 12, Paul gave him the remedy for that, set an example. We talked through that a minute ago. Now, Paul instructs him on how to conduct worship gatherings for the church. So, you know... They're probably, you know, telling Timothy, well, you can't tell me this, you can't tell me that. Well, he's, Paul says, here's how you conduct the worship service. So I want you to do this until I get there. In the meantime, after you get this letter, read, preach, and teach the truth. That's, that's what he tells him in verse 13. Read publicly, he says. Well, what is he going to read publicly? Well, he doesn't have the New Testament yet. It's not written. He has maybe the Old Testament, if he can borrow a, a scroll from the, the, uh, the uh, synagogue nearby. But also there was a lot of apostolic writings going around, circulating. The apostles were writing. They were regularly recording and sending letters out. Okay, unfortunately, or probably fortunately, by God's will, we don't have them all. We have what we have. And so read those, reread those. He's going to read this letter and reread this letter. There was a letter written to the Ephesians. If you, You know the book in the Bible. I'm sure he had a copy of that. Read it again and again and again. They would read publicly the scriptures. And then he says, exhort them. Exhortation, it's strong communication of the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what the strong communication is about is that Jesus is the Messiah for the forgiveness of sin. That's what exhortation does. It passionately pushes the the truth of Jesus Christ out. And then he says, teaching them. Teaching what salvation of a soul means for them. I mean, because... All of these people, whether they were Gentiles or Jews, they had been doing actions to get right with God. They had been doing things to get right with God. And he's saying, you need to teach them kind of what this now means. Grace is a whole nother playing field. And so teach them what it means, how to live this truth out publicly. We might call teaching application in, in, in our time, application of what the sermon gave you, application of what you, he exhorted to them. And these three items, I believe, make up the minimum that should be in any worship gathering of a church. Any gathering that we're going to call a worship service needs to have reading of the scripture, 
preaching of the scripture and teaching of the scriptures. Read the scriptures, proclaim their wonderful truth, teach how they apply to life. And in the early church, they gathered often. We get one Sunday a month, I mean a week. Sometimes it seems like a month. One Sunday a week. But back in the early church, they would gather often because they didn't have this. They didn't have a copy. Most of you probably got two or three at home or five or six or 10 or 20. I don't know how many I've got on my shelves. But we've got the, we've got the word now. But back then they didn't. So they gathered every time they could get a chance to read more of those letters, to talk more and, and hear more about Christ and the salvation. They didn't just gather on Sunday, the Lord's Day. They did gather on that day, but they also gathered more often to gain opportunities to hear, to listen, and to learn. And once the Bible was printed, they, then people, and people could read it. I mean, once the, the Bible was printed, and then literacy had to catch up. So it did. We all have the Bible. We have no excuses. But gathering to worship, though, is still crucial to every believer's spiritual health and maturity. This is necessary. You may not always see the benefits of it. You may not always understand exactly how it's helping you, but it is. Trust me. It's kind of like you don't remember what you had for lunch two weeks ago, but you had lunch. You're getting fed, I hope, if you're hearing what I'm saying. This is why Paul concludes with his instructions in verse 16. This is why he says this in verse 16. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's a pretty bold promise, isn't it? That's a pretty bold promise. Faithful spiritual leaders must bind themselves to these traits and these actions and, and give it full attention and persevere in it. And that perseverance just implies a persistent and relentless striving to live these and teach these things. And we all should be doing that. We all should be doing that. Paul gives a promise which carries a very stern warning about it. The promise is that salvation and sanctification will come to you and your hearers, Timothy, to the congregation as well as to your own soul. You will see salvation and sanctification of the souls there and working their salvation out with fear and trembling, as he tells the Philippians. God's word is life. But if they don't do this, there's the warning. If they don't do this, his ministry will be a train wreck and their lives will be ravaged too because they won't be able to stand on truth because they don't have it. Faithful spiritual leaders live out the truths of Scripture for their followers to imitate. Any spiritual leader's life must resemble a faithful pursuit of the Savior's example. Paul gave the Philippians an example of what he does. Like I said a while ago, none of us are perfect, okay? But in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, this is what Paul, he just said in, chapter, in verse 11, he says, to obtain to the resurrection of Jesus. And in verse 12, he says, not that I have obtained all this or have already been made perfect, that hasn't happened yet. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. So here's Paul completely admitting his lack of perfection. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the call of Christ Jesus in my life heavenward. That's the way we have to live. Not defeated, not going, okay, well, I messed up, I'm done. Confess, repent, move on. That's what Paul did. How do you tell if a watermelon's ripe? 
You thump it, right, Kiefer? You thump it. It's got to sound a certain way. I never figured that out. We grew watermelons all the time. I never figured out. That one sounded, you know. How do you tell if a cantaloupe's right? You smell it. Yeah, you smell it. How do you know if a genuine Christian is ripe? How do you know if they're genuine Christians? Ripened fruit. One way you know is their fruit is ripe. A life that is faithful to Christ's commands, repentant when failing, and careful to improve. That's what, that's what ripening of our fruit means. Continuing to get better. Moving on. Spiritual health, it sounds difficult, I know. It sounds very difficult. How do I monitor it? How do I evaluate it? How do I improve it? How do I get healthier as a Christian? But you know, it's not really that hard. It just takes, it ta- it takes some things we are very reluctant to give up. It takes time. Whew. Time. These wretched watches and calendars. It takes time. It takes effort. And it takes also some careful evaluation, some honest evaluation of your own heart, where you are. Our Christian life needs scripture from our own reading plus what you get with the church family. I mean, worship and prayer are vital for our souls and lives to manifest Christ to the world. And it all originates from a personal choice, okay? It all originates from that. You can make the same choices I've made over the years to give it priority, to give it some effort, to spend some time in God's Word. We just need to be deliberate about it. I felt when God called me to preach, I said, know my Bible pretty good, so I made a, a, a covenant right then that I would read my Bible through every year. That was 2012, and I have, praise God, by His grace and mercy. I have read the Bible through every year. I don't say that to make you think I'm smarter because I'm not, but it has helped to keep ingesting God's word. Reading the same stories over and over, I see something different every year. 10 years, 11 years of it, I see something different every time. So we can all lead spiritually in our surrounding if we devote time and diligence to our spiritual health. Read your Bible. If that's a struggle, find a good study Bible, one that's got notes and and commentary with it. And if you need help figuring that out, use study aids. There's, there's so much out there on the internet as well as books you can buy. I have stuff on my shelf I gladly give you to help you understand things. But read your Bible. Find ways to read it that will help you understand it. No, not everybody's going to understand Ezekiel. I've read it ten times now. I don't understand it. I understand some of it, but I don't understand all of it. So read the parts you can understand. And don't just attend church, but participate in church. You know what I mean by that? Participate. You read the passage ahead of time. That's why I call it out each week. And you should be able to know by now, after five years, I'm going the next set of verses. So read the next chapter. You'll, be, you'll definitely cover what I'm going to preach next week. But read the passage ahead of time. Study the lessons before you come to church if you're in a Sunday school Bible study class. Sing the songs we sing. And although we have hiccups in different things and sometimes issues, think on the words. Because we try to sing songs with good theology here. Think about what those words say. Think about what scripture verses they attach themselves to. Pray often, privately and publicly. Whether it's just with your family. Pray with others facing difficulties. Prayer should be our first resort, not our last. You hear someone's going through something, pray for them. Right then and right there, whether you're in the middle of Walmart or 
the fair, wherever. Pray for them. Pray, pray, pray. God has commanded us to pray. And then reflect on your day-to-day behaviors, habits, your life, what you do. Think on it. Did I handle that correctly? Did I do that the right way? Did I treat that person like I want to be treated, like Jesus would have me treat them? Evaluate it. If you need to apologize, go apologize. It doesn't cost you anything. Even if they don't accept your apology, it doesn't cost you anything. You're you're born again. You're free from sin. You're free from ridicule. You're free from their condemnation. If you ask for 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 their forgiveness and they don't give it, there's nothing else you can do. But we need to be willing to go and correct our behaviors. And yes, I assume that you could do better because we all can. All right? I assume that. It's a given. No one has arrived at perfection like Paul said. God takes seriously our improvement as believers in Christ. I mean, he makes that promise in verse 16 that it will go well for us if spiritual leaders faithfully seek to live by faith in Jesus. So Paul lays this out, the internal and the external pursuits of anyone who seeks to be a spiritual leader, male or female. He wants you to pursue these things and act these way. So as I close, I just remind you, I mentioned on June 18th that we, we plan to begin to look to convert our, our church to a, an elder, a plurality of elders in leadership. I don't know how fast this is going to go. I don't know when it's going to even start. But we need to pray about it now. This stuff doesn't happen without a lot of prayer. We need the right people selected. We need to do what Paul tells Timothy here. We all need to listen, watch, and, and look after our own souls. And everyone is responsible to live and pray. And so we need leaders to make their will and, and su- their will subject to the fully revealed will of God in Scripture, okay? Leaders who are willing to accept correction, adjust their mindsets, and offer their hearts to the Spirit's examination. That's something we can all begin praying about and seeking God for. And we can start right now. Let's pray now in our time of pastoral prayer to always that God will raise up leaders and raise ourselves up to be leaders wherever we are. There's, there's ways you're leading you may not even know. Make sure you're living spiritually, but also ask him to give our church such leaders as well. So time, we'll have a time of silent prayer, and after a minute or so, I'll close us out. Let's pray.